0: Chapter 17 of Child Life in Colonial Days by Alice Morse Earle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Games and Pastimes. Quote, the plays of children are nonsense, but very educative nonsense. Unquote. Essay on Experience Ralph Waldo Emerson, 1860 There are no more striking survivals of antiquity than the games and pastimes of children. We have no historians of old-time child life to tell us of these games. But we can get side glimpses of that life which reveal to us, as Ruskin says, more light than a broad stare. Many of these games were originally religious observances. But there are scores that in their present purpose of simple amusement date from medieval days the chronicler frazart in l'espinette amoureuse tells of the sports of his early life over five centuries ago in that early childish day i was never tired to play GAMES THAT CHILDREN EVERY ONE LOVE UNTIL TWELVE YEARS ARE DONE. TO DAM UP A rivulet WITH TILE OR ELSE TO LET A SMALL SAUCER FOR A BOAT DOWN THE PURLING GUTTER FLOAT OVER TWO BRICKS AT A WILL TO ERECT A WATERMILL in those days for dice and chess cared we busy children less than mud pies and buns to make and heedfully to oven bake of four bricks and when came lent out was brought a compliment of river shells from secret hold estimated above gold to play away as I thought meet with children of our street. The children of our street has a delightfully familiar ring. He also names many familiar games, such as playing ball, ring, prisoner's base, riddles, and blowing soap bubbles. Top spinning was an ancient game, even in froissart's day, having been played in old Rome and the Orient since time immemorial. It is interesting to note the persistent survival of games which are seldom learned from printed rules, but are simply told from child to child from year to year. On the sidewalk in front of my house is now marked out with chalk the lines for a game of hopscotch, and a group of children are playing it, precisely as I played it in my New England home in my childhood, and as my grandfathers and grandmothers played, quote, scotch hoppers in their day in a little century-old picture book called youthful recreations scotch hoppers is named and vaguely explained and a note says this exercise was frequently practiced by the greeks and spartan women might it not be useful in the present day to prevent children having chilblains now isn't that stupid everyone knows hopscotch time is not in the winter when the ground is rough and frozen or wet with snow and when chilblains are rife It is a game for the hard, solid earth, or a sunny pavement. The variants of tag have descended to us and are played today, just as they were played when Boston and New York streets were lanes and cowpads. The pretty game, I catch you without green, unquote, mentioned by Rabelais is well known in the carolinas whither it was carried by french huguenot immigrants who retained many of their home customs as well as their language for so long a time stone tag and wood tag took the place in america of the tag on iron of elizabeth's day squat tag and cross tag have their times and seasons, and in Philadelphia, tell-tag is also played. Picadill is a winter sport, a tag played in the snow. Another tag game known as poison or stone poison is where the player is tagged if he steps off stones. The little books on etiquette so frequently read in the seventeenth century and quoted in other pages of this book have this severe injunction tread not pulpously on pebble stones for it is the art of a fool a man who was not a fool one doctor Samuel Johnson was swayed in his walk by similar notions honeypots still is played by american children hollywell says the quote honeypot unquote was a boy rolled up in a certain stiff position i have seen it played by two girls carrying a third in a chair made by crossing hands. In a popular little book of the last century called Juvenile Pastimes or Sports for Four Seasons, the illustration shows girls playing it. The explanatory verse reads quote, Carry your honey pot safe and sound, or it will fall upon the ground. Unquote. A truly historic game taught by children to each other is what is called Cat's Cradle or Cratch Cradle. One player stretches a length of loop cords over the extended fingers of both hands in a symmetrical form. The second player inserts the fingers and removes the cord without dropping the loops in a way to produce another figure these various figures had childish titles if hone's derivation of the game and its meaning is true cratch cradle is the correct name a cratch was a grated crib or manger the adjustment of threads purported to represent the manger or cradle wherein the infant saviour was laid by his virgin mother, as little girls take off the cradle, they say crisscross crisscross, this, like the criss-cross row in the hornbook, was originally CRISS-CROSS, In a quaint little book called The Pretty Little Pocket Book, published in America at revolutionary times, is a list of boys' games with dingy pictures showing how the games were played. The names given were Chuck Farthing, Kite Flying, Dancing Round Maypole, Marbles, Hoop and Hide, THREAD THE NEEDLE, FISHING, BLIND MAN'S BUFF, shuttlecock, KING AM I, PEG FARTHING, KNOCK OUT AND SPAN, HOP, SKIP, AND JUMP, BOYS AND GIRLS COME OUT TO PLAY, I SENT A LETTER TO MY LOVE, CRICKET, STOOL BALL, BASEBALL, Trap ball, swimming, tip cat, train banding, fives, leapfrog, bird nesting, hop hat, shooting, hopscotch, squares, riding, rosemary tree. The descriptions of the games are given in rhyme. AND TO EACH ATTACHED A MORAL LESSON IN VERSE. SOME OF THE VERSES READ THUS, CHUCK FARTHING. AS YOU VALUE YOUR PENCE, AT THE HOLE TAKE YOUR AIM. CHUCK ALL SAFELY IN, AND YOU'LL WIN THE GAME. MORAL. CHUCK FARTHING, LIKE TRADE, REQUIRES GREAT CARE the more you observe the better you'll fare." Unquote. A few of the games are today unknown or little known. For instance, the game called in the book Pitch and Hustle. Hoise your hand fairly, pitch plumb your slat, then shake for all heads, turn down the hat. Unquote. The game called All the Birds of the Air reads, Here various boys stand round, and soon does each some favorite bird assume, and if the slave once hits his name, he's then made free, and crowns the game mr newell has given a list and description of many of the historic singing games and rounds of american children these were known to me in my childhood here we go round the mulberry bush here come three lords out of spain on the green carpet here we stand i've come to see miss ginia jones little sally waters sitting in the sun green gravel green gravel the grass is so green old uncle john is very sick what shall we send him oats peas beans and barley grows when i was a shoemaker here i brew here i bake here i make my wedding cake the needles eye that doth supply SOLDIER BROWN, WILL YOU MARRY ME, MARRY ME? OH, DOCTOR, DON'T YOU CRY, THERE'S A ROSE IN THE GARDEN FOR YOU, YOUNG MAN. RING ROUND THE rosy, GO ROUND AND ROUND THE VALLEY, QUAKER, QUAKER, HOW ART THEE? I PUT MY RIGHT FOOT IN. MY MASTER SENT ME TO YOU, SIR, LONDON BRIDGE IS FALLING DOWN. Some of these rhymes were founded on certain lines of ballads, but without any printed words or music we all knew them well and the music was the same that our mothers used, though our mothers had not taught us. Today children all over the country are singing and playing these games to the same music i heard verse after verse of london bridge sung in a high key in the shrill voices of children of a new hampshire country school this winter such survival in such an environment is not strange but it is surprising and pathetic too to hear in a public primary or a parochial school the children of german italian or irish parentage chanting green gravel green gravel the grass is so green within the damp and dingy yard walls or in the basement playrooms of our greatest city the dutch settlers had many games they were very fond of bowling on the grass a well-known street in new york bowling green shows the popularity of the game and where it was played they played tic-tac, a complicated sort of backgammon, and trock on a table somewhat like a billiard-table. In it an ivory ball was struck under wire wickets with a cue. Coasting downhill became a most popular sport. Many attempts were made to control and stop the coasters, At one time the Albany constables were ordered to take the small or great sleaze in what boys and girls ride down the hills and break them in pieces. At another time the boy had to forfeit his hat if he were caught coasting on Sunday. The sleds were low with a rope in front and were started and guided by a sharp stick. There is a Massachusetts law of the year sixteen thirty three against quote, common coasters, unprofitable fowlers, and tobacco takers. Three classes of detrimentals. Mr. Ernst says coasting meant loafing along the shore, then idling in general, then sliding down hill for fun. In Canada, they slid down the long hills on toboggans. In New England, they used a double runner, a long narrow board platform on two sleds, or two sets of runners. Judge Sewell speaks of his little daughter going out on sleds, but there is nothing to indicate precisely what he meant thereby. Quote, Sports of the In-Yards Unquote, languished in new england innkeepers were ordered not to permit the playing of quote, dice cards tables quats log gats bowls ninepins or any other unlawful game in house yard garden or backside slide groat was also forbidden Mr. Henry Cabot Lodge says the shovel-board of Shakespeare's day was almost the only game that was tolerated. This game was perhaps the most popular of old-time domestic pastimes that was akin to slide groat. I found nothing to indicate that the cruel sport known as cock-throwing cock-stelling or cock-squalling, ever prevailed in America. In this sport the cock was tied by a short cord to a stake, and boys at a distance of twenty yards took turns at throwing sticks at him till he was killed. This sport was as old as Chaucer's time, and universal among the English Judge Sewell wrote of Shrove Tuesday in Boston in 1685 that there was great disorder in Boston by reason of cock scaling. Another year, he tells of a young lad going through Boston streets, quote, carrying a cock on his back and a bell in his hand, unquote. Several friends followed him, loosely blindfolded and carrying cart whips, and, under pretense of striking at him, managed to distribute their blows with stinging force on the gaping crowd around. This was an old English custom. At a later date, the sport of shying at leaden cocks prevailed. The dumps, quote-unquote, which were thrown, and the crude little images of lead, and pewter-shaped like a cock were often made and sold by apprentices as part of their prequisites. Cock-fighting was popular in southern colonies and New York. There are prohibitions against it in the rules of William and Mary College. Certainly it was not encouraged or permitted here as in English schools where boys had cockfights in the schoolroom and where that great teacher roger asham impoverished himself with dicing and cockfighting cockfights were often held on shrove tuesday the picture of colonel richard winekoop shown on the opposite page was painted when he was 12 years old the dim figures of two fighting cocks can be seen by his side they are obscured by the sword which the colonel carried during the revolution and which is thrust in front of the picture the cruel dutch sport of riding for the goose was riding at full speed to catch a swinging greased goose YOUNG LADS SOMETIMES TOOK PART IN THIS, BUT NO SMALL BOYS. IN THE SCHOOL OF VIRTUE, 1557, WE READ, O LITTLE CHILD, eschew THOU EVER GAME, FOR THAT HATH BROUGHT MANY ONE TO SHAME, AS DICING AND CARTING AND SUCH OTHER PLAYS, WHICH MANY UNDOETH AS WE SEE NOWADAYS. Playing cards were fiercely hated, and their sale prohibited in Puritan communities. But games of cards could not be beaten down. Grown folk had a love of card-playing and gaming, which seemed almost hereditary. But I do not believe young children indulged much in card-playing in any of the colonies. William Bradford, then governor of the colony of Plymouth, thus grimly records in his now famous log-book the first christmas day in that settlement the day called christmas day ye governor called them out to work as was used but ye most of this new company excused themselves and said that went against their conscience to work on that day so ye governor told them If they made it matter of conscience, he would spare them till they were better informed. So he led away ye rest, and left them, but when they came home at noon from their work, he found them in ye street, at play openly, some pitching ye bar, and some at stool-ball, and such like sports. So he went to them, and took away their implements, and told them it was against his conscience THAT THEY SHOULD PLAY AND OTHERS WORK. The exact description of this game I do not know. Dr. Johnson says it is a play where balls are driven from stool to stool, which may be a good definition, but it is a very poor explanation. The pretty little pocket-book says vaguely THE BALL ONCE STRUCK WITH ART AND CARE AND DROVE IMPETUOUS THROUGH THE AIR, SWIFT ROUND HIS COURSE THE GAMESTER FLIES, OR HIS STOOLS ARE TAKEN BY SURPRISE. AT THE END OF THE SEVENTEENTH CENTURY A French TRAVELER NAMED Missau WROTE A VERY VIVACIOUS ACCOUNT OF HIS TRAVELS IN ENGLAND. HE SAGELY NOTED ENGLISH CUSTOMS fashions, attributes, and manners, and airily discoursed on the English game of football. In winter, football is a useful and charming exercise. It is a leather ball about as big as one's head, filled with wind. This is kicked about from one to t'other in the streets by him that can get it, and that is all the art of it." THAT IS ALL THE ART OF IT. I CAN IMAGINE THE SENTIMENTS OF THE GENERAL READER OF THAT DAY, IF ANY GENERAL READER EXISTED IN ENGLAND AT THAT TIME, WHEN HE READ AND NOTED THE debonair SIMPLICITY OF THIS BRIEF ACCOUNT OF WHAT WAS EVEN THEN A GAME OF SO MUCH IMPORTANCE IN ENGLAND. THE PROOF THAT MISSON WAS TRULY IGNORANT OF THIS SUBJECT, is shown in the fact that he could by any stretch of an author's privileged imagination call the english game of football of that day a useful and charming exercise nothing could be further from the englishman's intent than to make it either profitable or pleasing in the year fifteen eighty three. A Puritan named Philip Stubbs, horror-stricken and sore afraid at the many crying evils and wickedness which were rife in England, published a book which he called The Anatomy of Abuses. It was made dialogue-wise and is one of the most distinct contributions to our knowledge of Shakespeare's England. Written in racy-spirited English, IT IS UNSPARING IN DENUNCIATIONS OF THE PUBLIC AND PRIVATE EVILS OF THE DAY. HIS CHARACTERIZATION OF THE GAME OF FOOTBALL IS ONE OF THE STRONGEST AND MOST FEARLESS OF HIS ACCUSATIONS. NOW WHO IS SO GROSSLY BLIND THAT SEETH NOT THAT THESE aforesaid EXERCISES NOT ONLY WITHDRAW US FROM GODLINESS AND VIRTUE, BUT ALSO HAIL AND ALLURE US TO WICKEDNESS AND SIN? For as concerning football playing, I protest unto you that it may rather be called a friendly kind of fight than a play or recreation, a bloody and murthering practice than a fellowly sport or pastime. For doth not every one lie in wait for his adversary, seeking to overthrow him, and pick him on his nose. THOUGH IT BE UPON HEARTSTONES, IN DITCH OR DALE, IN VALLEY OR HILL, OR WHATEVER PLACE SOEVER IT BE, HE CARETH NOT, SO HE HAVE HIM DOWN, AND HE CAN SERVE THE MOST OF THIS FASHION, HE IS COUNTED THE ONLY FELLOW, AND WHO BUT HE, SO THAT BY THIS MEANS SOMETIMES THEIR NECKS ARE BROKEN, SOMETIMES THEIR backs, SOMETIMES THEIR LEGS, SOMETIMES THEIR ARMS, Sometimes their noses gush out with blood, sometimes their eyes start out, sometimes hurt in one place, sometimes in another, but whosoever scapeth away the best goeth not scot free, but is ever for wounded, crazed or bruised, so as he dieth of it or else scapeth very hardly and not mervail for they have the slights to meet one betwixt two to dash him against the heart with their elbows to hit him under the short ribs with their gripped fists and with their knees to catch him on the hip and pick him on his neck with a hundred such murdering devices this was written three hundred years ago and these are not the words of a modern reporter They have slates to meet one betwixt two to dash him against the heart with their elbows to hit him under the short ribs, with their gripped fists and with their knees to catch him on the hip and pick him on the neck. Stubbs may be set down by many as a sour-visaged, sour-voiced Puritan, but a very gracious courtier of his day an intelligent and thoughtful man sir thomas elliot was equally severe on the game he wrote in fifteen thirty seven the book named the governor full of sensible advice and instruction in it he says football wherein is nothing but beastly fury and extreme violence whereof proceedeth hurt, and consequently malice and rancour do remain, and with them that be wounded, whereof it is to be put in perpetual silence. The perpetual silence which he put on the game has not fallen even by the end of three centuries and a half. Some indirect testimony as to the character of the English game comes from travellers in the American colonies, where the American Indians were found playing a game of football like that of their white brothers. John Dunton, travelling in New England when Boston was half a century old, tells of the Indians' game, There was that day a great game of football to be played. There was another town played against them, as is sometimes common in England, but they played with their bare feet which i thought very odd but it was upon a broad sandy shore free from stones which made it the more easy neither were they so apt to trip up one another's heels and quarrel as i have seen em in england at the same time english boys were kicking the football around boston streets and were getting themselves complained of by game-hating Puritan neighbors, and enjoined by pragmatical magistrates, just as they were in English towns. Fewer games are played now by both boys and girls than in former times in England as well as America. In a manuscript list of games played at Eton in 1765 are these titles cricket fives shirking walls scrambling walls bally battle battledore peg-top peg-in-the-ring goals hopscotch heading conquering cobs hoops marbles trap-ball steel baggage puss-in-the-corner cat gallows Kites, cloister, and higher gigs, tops, humming tops, hunt the hare, hunt the dark lathorn, chuck, sinks, stair caps, hurdle cap. No games are now recognized at Eton save cricket, football, and fives. Racket and hockey flourished for a time. The playing of marbles was abandoned about eighteen twenty and top-spinning about eighteen forty top time had always opened ten days after the return to school after the summer holidays hoops were made of stout ash lath with bark on and the hoop-rolling season ended with a class fray with hoop-sticks for weapons at one time marble playing was prohibited in the english university it is not probable that these undergraduates habitually played marble any more than you are princeton university men who have a day of marble playing and one of top spinning each spring a record of old-time sports would be incomplete without reference to the laws of sport times these are as firmly established as the seasons and as regular as the blooming of flowers children cannot explain them nor is there any leader who establishes them it is not a matter of reason it is instinct a swiss writer says that boys games there belong chiefly to the first third of the year ALWAYS return IN THE SAME ORDER, AND WITHOUT THE INDIVIDUAL CHILD BEING ABLE TO SAY WHO HAD GIVEN THE SIGN AND MADE THE BEGINNING. FROM MAINE TO GEORGIA, THE FIRST TIME IS, HAS BEEN, AND WE MAY ALMOST ADD, EVER SHALL BE WORLD WITHOUT END, MARBLE TIME. THEN COMES TOPS. The saying is, Top's time's gone, Kite's time come, April Fool's Day will soon be here. Ball-playing in Boston had at its time the first Thursday in April. Whistle-making would naturally come at a time when whistle-wood was in good condition all the boys in all the towns perch on stilts as closely in unison as the reports of a gatling gun there is much sentiment in the thought that for years almost for centuries thousands of boys in every community have had the same games at the same time and the recital almost reaches the dignity of history END OF CHAPTER SEVENTEEN